God has been opening scripture up to me, and for the last 24 hours, I've just constantly been going wow, 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 as he has tied scripture together for me and made sense of things, made them clearer than they've ever been, pulled everything together. And I have to say, for the last 24 hours, I've gone from wow to breaking down and just weeping at the awesomeness of God. I've broken down and wept many times over the last 24 hours. And I want you to pray with me right now because my prayer is, Father, if you revealed something to me, then reveal it to all of us and let that anointing be there. So let's pray. Father, I thank you for what I've experienced in you. And I thank you for the amazing power of your truth. You didn't give me this revelation so that I could enjoy it. You gave me this revelation so I could break it down so that all your sons and daughters can enjoy it. And so, Holy Spirit, I thank you. You're going to be here right now. You are here, and your anointing for a revelation won't just be on me. It will be on them. And everyone will have ears to hear and eyes to see. And they will dance and rejoice at the finished work of Jesus Christ. I thank you, Holy Ghost. I thank you right now. Your anointing will rest on these people for the duration of this service. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. I mentioned this quickly last week. I'm going to mention it again because more has happened. The method of me preaching comes out of, honestly, a deep desire and a recognition, God, this isn't my pulpit, this is your pulpit. It's not my church, it's your church. You've put me here to tend it, to look after the sheep, to feed them, to make them choice lambs. And so I really do approach this, not as an egotistical thing, all week, I, I, I wrestle my flesh so I could stay in the spirit. All week, I'm crying out to God. Rob Scarallo doesn't have a right to speak in the flesh. His only right to even exist and breathe is because of Christ. I want this pulpit to be filled with your words, not my words. After all, his words are the words that bring life. Can I get an agreement? Amen. And so before I ended the last series, probably a couple of weeks before it came to an end, as God has been doing with me more and more lately, he starts to give me the thought for the next series. I can't explain to you in detail how that happens, except that as I'm preaching and I know I'm coming to an end of a series, it's like a thought lights up in my head and I start getting excited and there's a sense, there's a knowing God wants to say something about that. And when he gives me a theme, I don't know. In that moment, I don't know what's going to come out in the sermons. It For me, it is a week-by-week week journey saying, okay, God, what what comes out next out of this thought that you had put in my heart? And so it really is very much a, a walk of faith 
And every week, waiting on God, waiting on his Holy Spirit and saying, okay, what's the next message? Uh, I don't go to a library of sermons. I don't go to a website on the internet to pick up sermons. I truly, honestly labor and, and just wait on God. What do you want to say? Because God always has the perfect word at the perfect time. Can I get an agreement? And so God gave me this thought, it is finished. And uh, I didn't know what would come out of this sermon series. All I knew is that I was going to preach a series called It Is Finished. We had this cross made purposely, very robust to resemble uh, starting Easter is when I started the series. We wanted it to look as much like the real thing, a cross that Jesus would have hung on. Heavy, burdensome, rough, finished, and that's where he gave his life so you and I could live and live more abundantly. Can I get an agreement? Amen. So I started to preach this. It is finished. And you see it's written there on the cross. These are the last words that Jesus prayed. The week before last, Pastor Tom was in the prayer meeting. I could not be there that day because I was meeting up at one of the high schools. They were having a, an event for the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. And so I went and God has since opened up quite a few doors and this next school year we as a church will be getting into the high schools a lot more and I am excited about that absolutely I am very excited about that in fact it's an absolute imperative of a mission field that we get into the high schools and counter the gospel of demons with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Can I get an agreement? Amen. We need to stand with our Christian students in that mission field so that they're not there alone. We need to stand with them, not just for their strength and encouragement, but to embolden them to reach the other students for Jesus Christ. So while I was away, Pastor Tom's here in the prayer meeting, and he says, uh, you know, I, I, I keep getting Psalm 22, and it's the last two verses of Psalm 22. He said, I don't know what it says, but it just keeps coming up, and I, I, I just feel like I need to say it. Now, I, I was already launched in this series. He had no idea what it said, so Pastor Jan pulls out her Bible. I, I want you to understand, this is a spirit-filled church. We believe in the gifts of the Holy Ghost. We believe miracles are for today. We believe healing is for today. We believe in words and knowledge. We believe in God speaking prophetically. And uh, you'll see as I get into my message that the little song that they sang, they they, it was inspired to them at the last minute. For those of you who don't know, not everything they sing is pre-written. That last little bit, the victory is already ours. And where Pastor Stephen took us was just something that welled up within him by the Holy Ghost. And he led us in singing it. I wish I had that gift. I don't have that gift. Uh, I sound more like a toad when I sing. But he gave me the gift to preach. But even that was prophetic. 
And you'll see as I continue to uh, lay out the sermon this morning. So Pastor Jan reads the passage of Scripture exactly the verses that God told Pastor Tom. Well, the first thing you need to understand before I read it is that Psalm 22 is a prophetic psalm. David, King David, writes prophetically about the crucifixion of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And in Psalm 22, David very clearly says, they have pierced my hands and pierced my feet. Obviously, this is the method of crucifixion. Your feet and your hands are nailed to the cross. Historically, this has never happened to David. David says, they cast lots for my garment. That's exactly what the soldiers did at the foot of the cross in mockery of Jesus. He had a woven tunic that was made without any seams, and they cast lots for his garment. And so if you read Psalm 22, you will see many things that are exactly as happened on the crucifixion. And so uh, this is a prophetic psalm. Well, Pastor Tom gets the last two verses, and the last two verses read like this. Future generations will hear from, will hear from us about the wonders of the sovereign Lord. His generation yet to be born will glorify him, and they will all declare it is finished. So here they are in the prayer meeting. Tom, Pastor Tom gets this, just Psalm 22, verse, what verses are they? 30 and 31. And uh, to his surprise, Pastor Janice reads it, and it's this. The same thing God told me weeks ago before I had finished the last series. It is finished. Here, prophetically, after the description of Jesus' crucifixion is written out in this psalm, he goes on and says, future generations will hear from us and generations yet to be born will declare it is finished. This statement is a powerful statement. It is more powerful than what we really understand. And even when I started this series, God had to open my eyes of revelation. I understood in part, but as I've been breaking this down, God has just been literally, and I am not exaggerating, bringing waves of revelation over me and opening my eyes to the simplicity and the depth of what it means when Jesus said, it is finished. Now, if that wasn't enough to encourage me and inspire you, me, and if that isn't enough to intrigue you and get you interested to say, God is talking, let me listen, let me tell you what happened this week. Last week, I preached, and uh, I preached on It Is Finished, and the sermon title was called, He Took a Whipping. By His Stripes, the scripture was, by his stripes, by the whip marks on his back, we were healed. 
Well, this men's event that's happening, and by the way, I encourage all the men in this church to see Pastor Tom. We went last year. We had about 20, 25 guys. It was really good. Food included. It was awesome. We signed up to do it again. It's a citywide thing. All Christian churches, irrespective of denomination. And so uh, Somebody Cares Tampa Bay is putting it on. It's going to be at Indian Rocks Baptist Church. And uh, while I was away this week in Ohio visiting with Pastor Nick, uh, a good friend of mine, he celebrated his 70th birthday, and I, for the very first time, got to visit him and his church. Had a wonderful time. I think God is bringing a connection between these two churches. But nonetheless, uh, last Sunday, before I got up to preach, I get a text from the head of Somebody Cares Tampa Bay, and he says, now mind you, you're texting a pastor just before he's about to start church. And he says, call me as soon as you can. So uh, I did finally return the call only to find out that he was asking me. He says, we have a prayer journal that we're encouraging all the churches to participate in. And uh, every day for 21 days, we're going to be praying for this outreach and uh, we have a booklet, a journal that we put together with a, a word of uh, encouragement, a teaching word for each day of the 21 days. I'd like you to do day 20. And I'm thinking to myself, as if I'm not busy enough, why did he ask me to do this? And so for a moment, I was in the flesh. I had an attitude. I get home from Ohio and I open up my email, and there's the email with day 20 that I have to speak on and pre-record so that when day 20 comes up, everyone can tune in. I open it up, and day 20 is the God of our salvation is the God of healing, Jehovah Rophi. Two scriptures. And they gave two scriptures, which were the only two scriptures I used in my sermon that Sunday. Isaiah 53 and Matthew chapter 8. I immediately put my head down and said, God, I'm sorry. <laughs> Sometimes we can act like a donkey and we have to realize that it is an honor when God wants to sit on us and use us. Can I get an agreement? And I, I was overwhelmed with what Pastor Tom got in the prayer meeting and overwhelmed with here it is, it's happening again. And I honestly, sincerely repented and honestly, sincerely said, God, you really have something to say. This really is your message. You want people to hear this. I mean, it totally intrigued me and baffled me. This is a non-denominational uh, get-together, but the day 20 thought of the day is a thought about healing being in the atonement. And there are certain or many sectors of the Christian faith that don't believe that healing is as much our right as being forgiven of our sins. And I said, God, you could have picked any one of a hundred pastors that are participating. And even if 
I was blessed to be picked as one of 21 who would get this honor. I could have had any day from day one to day 21, but you pick me to do day 20 the very week of me having just finished preached it. How many of you realize that God has something to say? Amen. This is the prophetic working of the Holy Spirit. Things get pulled together and set into motion, and they are proclaimed, and we have little to nothing to do with it except to participate. Are you with me? Amen. Absolutely. So I, I say all that to say, listen up. God's talking, and I believe today he's going to share some very, very powerful thoughts. So I want you to be in agreement to the point where I want you to turn around to somebody and look them fair in the eye and say, listen up, what's coming is awesome. Can you be bold enough to do that? All right. What's coming is awesome. I have to just, here we go, set my computer so it doesn't keep turning off. There we go. And back to our sermon notes. God created the heavens and the earth and everything that is in it in six days. Now, personally, I totally believe the word of God. Okay? In the natural, it's impossible. And because it's impossible, we say, well, it happened over millions and even billions of years. I'm not getting into the debate of evolution. Uh, God didn't evolve, and the things he does don't have to evolve. In an instant, he creates. But nonetheless, God created the heavens and the earth and everything that is in it in six days, and on the seventh day, he rested. So I'm going to start my message this morning by asking you, you a question. In fact, I'm going to teach this morning by asking questions and answering them. And I'm not trying to trap you or trick you or anything like that. Uh, but I, I want to stimulate thought. So the question is, if God created the heavens and the earth and everything that is in it in six days and on the seventh day he rested... On what day did God create man? All right. Four, six, three, two. The Bible says that on the sixth day, God created man. On the sixth day. Everything else was already created. So my question is, why did God create man on the sixth? Because everything was finished for him. You see, man was the crowning moment of God's creation. And everything that was created was created for the image who was going to reflect the image of God. God put man in a finished garden. Everything was done. In other words, in the garden, everything that man could ever want, everything that he would ever need, Anything that he would desire or ever dream of was already provided for him. It was already there. 
God made man on the sixth day after everything else was put in place and he put man there to tend the garden. That's pretty cool, isn't it? Absolutely. He created the earth, finished it all up. Every provision that humanity would have was there on earth and then God creates man in his image and puts him in the garden. What's interesting is that the very next day was the Sabbath, and God rested from all of his work. Now, we know that God was in the garden with Adam and with Eve. So on the sixth day, man is created. On the seventh day, God rests. You know what the first thing man did was? He entered the world and rested. He immediately rested with the Father. The father rested from his works, and his son sat down next to him and rested in the fact that the works of God are finished. Are you getting this? The first day of Adam's life, he rested with the father. He started life from the Sabbath, and he walked and lived in a garden where everything he needed he already had. He started life from the finish line. You remember the little skit we did last week? I had a starter's gun, uh, which I have since found out, and only after the service I found out. It is literally a pistol and could fire a 22 bullet. I'm really good. I'm really glad it only had gunpowder in it. Uh, it is a starter's gun, but it is literally a 22. Now, just in case you're worried that I broke the law, I happened to have a permit to carry. I didn't realize I was literally carrying. <laughs> I found out afterwards, and then I was packing. <laughs> but the illustration from the skit last week was that one person at the firing of the starting gun goes racing around and using all the energy in his body, and the other person stood at the finish line excited and rejoicing because they've already won the race. And the illustration was exactly that. We have won the race. We start at the finish line. Here's Adam. He's created, and everything's done for him. In fact, the Bible says in chapter uh, 1, he tells, Abraham, he tells Adam, subdue the earth. And in our English perspective, as language has moved on, we think of the word subdue as in to conquer. But you have to understand that when God created the earth, this is before the fall, everything was in divine order. There was nothing to conquer. There was a completely balanced ecosystem. The animal world was in harmony with God's will, and there was no death and there was no fear of animals in man. There was divine order. Everything was created through him, Jesus, and everything was created for him. And so prior to the fall, everything was in unity, unity of purpose. Everything gave glory to God. There was a harmony like the witch of you and I have never seen, but we will see one day when God recreates the heavens and the earth. Amen. The last enemy 
uh, is called death, and death itself, the concept of dying, the concept of deterioration, not just human death, but things wasting away in the world. The principle of death is the last enemy, Paul says, and it will be thrown into the lake of fire, and there will never be any kind of death ever again. We will go back to the garden that Adam was first born into, and it will be a garden of life. It will just be a garden that is completely finished and complete. For example, I don't have time to go through verse by verse, but if you read through, and this would be great homework, if you read through the chapter 1 of creation, you will see not only that Adam is the last thing that God creates, but he creates each thing to be self-sustaining. And when he created the fruit trees, when he created the vegetables, it says that he created them to reproduce, and they will reproduce fruit with seed in it, and the earth will keep producing that kind. In fact, in creation, there was no concept of rain in Adam's day. And as you keep reading from chapter 1 to chapter 2, you will see that God would cause water to come up from under the ground and it would water the trees, it would water the vegetables, it would water the fruit. Everything was self-sustaining and maintaining. So the garden didn't need a man to build water ducts. It didn't need a man to be able to uh, cause life to happen. It was all happening before man was created. God put man in the garden as his crowning moment of creation to enjoy the finished product of the Father. You see, we're created in God's image, and every one of us, if we're a half-decent parent, we work and we go to work and we put effort in so that when we have children, they can have. The heart of the Father is that he did all the work so that you and I, as sons of God, can have. Can I get an agreement? And so Adam was in the garden, and the Hebrew word for subdue we get confused. We think, well, today that means conquer it, take it over. You know, you got to fight for it. You got to suppress whatever. The word subdue in Hebrew is kabosh, and it means keep it under your control. God put Adam in the garden to have a watchful eye and just supervise what was already an autonomous process. Life would just keep producing and all of man's provision the earth would just give it up here it is Adam here it is again here's some more Adam and so how many of you like that concept only a few of you you like sweating and working and striving and how many of you like that concept come on get honest with me here I got to keep you alive and, uh, and on the edge of what I'm saying because the best is yet to come. So uh, on the first day that of Adam's life, he actually rested in the finished work of God. It's all done. His very first day, he's created. 
Adam rests with the Father, and he starts his life from a day of rest. Here's another thought, and I want to lay this out for you because it'll become important later in the message. In Western culture, we think of a day starting with the morning. In Hebrew culture, a day starts with the beginning of the evening. And the reason why that's true in Hebrew culture, the Sabbath, for example, it starts with the beginning of evening. All right, that's the beginning of Sabbath. Well, and the reason for that, the reason why they do that is they understand their own language. You see, if you go to Genesis chapter 1, in verse 3, it says, And there was evening, and there was morning, and there was the first day. You read verse 6, it says, And there was evening, and then there was morning, and there was the second day. You read verse 13, it says there was evening, and then there was morning, and there was the third day. So in God's economy, the, a day begins at the beginning of evening, and that's why Hebrews celebrate the Sabbath at the beginning of evening. Everybody get this? Okay, very important. You see, it was very important. When you look at the crucifixion and this whole series starts and stands on the fact that Jesus was crucified and he said, it is finished. And when they crucified him, they crucified him on the sixth day. The Sabbath was the next day. And so whenever someone was crucified, the synagogue wanted them crucified and Rome would oblige there was a practice to make sure that the person was dead before the Sabbath started, before evening set in. They would break the shin bones so that you couldn't push up against the little stop and grab breath. You see, crucifixion, you don't die because you have a hole in your hands or a hole in your feet. The method of crucifixion, the death that comes through it, is actually asphyxiation. You die of suffocation. You can't get enough breath into your body. And so that little stopper would be there, and they would push up and gasp for a little bit of air and sink down again, and then push up. And to speed it up so that it would not interrupt the Sabbath, the Roman soldiers would come with their swords, and they would break the shin bones of the person being crucified so that they couldn't push up and uncompress their lungs and be able to draw air. When they came to Jesus, the Bible says that he was already dead. Remember I mentioned Psalm 22. It talks about all this stuff that happened on the cross. In Psalm 22, David says, after he says, my hands were pierced and my feet were pierced, David says, and none of my bones were broken. You see, they had to break the bones of people who were being crucified before the evening began because that would be the Sabbath. They didn't want Jesus on the cross during the Sabbath. The Sabbath is their day of rest. And so they want to rest. And, but they didn't need to speed up the crucifixion on Jesus' account because he had already died. When did Jesus die? On the sixth day. The Sabbath is the seventh. Hello? Are you with me? Jesus died on the sixth day. All right. Let me come back to the message here. 
And so we see that Adam started life on the sixth day and there was evening and there was day and from that evening God rested. The Sabbath starts in the evening and God is resting and here's Adam, he's just created, born in the world and he's resting with his dad. Why? Because he doesn't have to toil. He doesn't have to struggle. He starts life from the reality and from the principle that everything is provided for him and God has his back. Are you hearing me? Everything's a foregone conclusion, Adam. I have made you last and brought you into a world where I have finished everything. Everything you will ever want, everything you will ever need, everything you will ever desire, it's already here. Adam starts life from the finish line. Adam starts life from the principle of the Sabbath. It is finished. I, I enter into God's rest. How many of you think that's pretty cool? Man was created on the sixth day, and the first thing he did was enjoy rest. Praise God. Well, we're going to keep moving on because it gets better. It gets deeper. It gets more profound, and it gets more relevant. This isn't a history class. This is a touching of history so that we understand our origins and what we were meant to enjoy and how we were meant to enjoy it. Do you understand what I'm saying? So this ain't just a history lesson. This is a very relevant message for our day-to-day -day lives once we catch the principle that is unfolding here. So I said it, I'm going to say it again. The first day of Adam's life, he rested with the Father. He started life from the Sabbath. He walked and lived in a garden where everything he needed or would ever need or want was already provided for. Man, who was created in the image of God. How many of you know God? man was created in the image of God? Man, who was created in the image of God, was created to live in the finished works of God. He was put in a garden where everything was already processed, everything was already prepared, everything was already provided. Man was God's crowning moment of creation, and in his likeness, God created man, and for man, God created all things. Did you know that God created all things for man? That's why he was created on the sixth day after everything else was already created. God created all things. Before the fall, everything that was created was created for man's benefit and enjoyment. Let me show you what the Bible says. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 to 29, then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image, in the image of God. He created them, male and female. He created them. Man's place was not just to be another creation together with the zebras, 
another creation together with the elephants, uh, another creation together with the macaw parrots. No. All of them were subject to man, and man was put there, created in the image of God, to oversee this fantastic garden, this fantastic cosmos. And everything that was there was there for his benefit. And then it it, it goes on and says, I want to say to you, even the mere fact that God created man to rule over the handiworks of his creation, even in that sense, we are created in the image of God. God rules over all creation, and in his image, God created man to rule over his creation. How many of you are getting this? So man wasn't just created in the character of God, in the likeness and the similitude of God. He wasn't just created to resemble the essence of who God is. He was also created in the image of God in the sense that he would rule and reign just like the Father rules and reigns. We talk about purpose. Man has lost his purpose, but we find our purpose again in Jesus Christ. Our purpose in the beginning was to be the head and not the tail. How many of you ever get tired of being the tail? The rest of you who didn't raise your hands, you could come and work for me. God created us to be the head, not the tail. We're meant to rule, we're meant to reign. He put all of this creation and he gave it to mankind. Before the fall, man was created in the image or the similitude of God's likeness. We bore the likeness of his image. We bore the likeness of his character. Before the fall, we bore the likeness of his personality. God deliberately stamped who he is, the image of who he is in character, in essence, in design, and he stamped it into what became a man and a woman. All of that was lost. It was lost in the sense that after the fall, it was distorted. And we went from having a divine nature to a sinful nature. How many of you can agree that if my nature was created in the image of God, while I am not God, I had a divine nature. I had a nature like his. I had a nature that wasn't prone to sin. But at the fall, man lost that image became perverted and tainted by sin, okay? So before the full man was created in the image, the similitude of God's likeness, we bore the likeness of his image, we bore the likeness of his character, we bore the likeness of his personality. What happened this week in Texas would never have happened before the fall because every one of us would be walking around bearing the character of God. How many of you are looking forward to the recreation of the heavens and the earth? Amen. Absolutely. 
all that was lost, all of that was lost in that it was distorted after the fall. That's why when we're born again, listen to this. Do you understand what happens when we're born again? That's why when we're born again, the Bible says we're a new creation. When we're born again, we're born with God's nature, not a sinful nature. I preached on this a couple of weeks ago. The first place where Jesus shed his blood was in the garden. The first Adam said, not God's will, my will. And he broke the will of God and he broke the divine order that was in the cosmos. And when you don't have divine order, you'll have an unholy disorder. Turn around and look at somebody and say, we got unholy disorder in this country and all over the earth. And all of that happened since the fall. Do you know in creation, man was the head and he ruled over the earth, he ruled over the trees, he ruled over the birds. Do you know that after the fall, we become subject to the earth and the, the weather of the earth and the climate of the earth dictates to us? And do you understand that divine order is so broken that man is last on the list and the animals and the earth is more precious and more worthwhile saving than humanity itself? It's a perversion. Whenever you give in to the will of Satan, you give up on the will of God. Whenever you give in to the will of Satan, you give up on the will of God. God's will was that earth would feed and bless and uh, provide for humanity and that man would be that crowning creation ruling over the earth in justice and righteousness. But because Adam said, I'm not your will, God, my will he opened the door to ungodly disorder and ever since then we have been suffering the consequences of a world gone out of order. Amen. Now i got to find my place again. I said all of that was lost, our image. Do you know that when you're born again, not only are you a new creature, and I don't know why so many preachers keep preaching the fact that we have to struggle with a sinful nature. Uh, you are a new creation. The old has passed. How many of you had a sinful nature? Well, the Bible says all things have passed away. All things are made new. Does the sinful nature fit into the category of all things? I got three. I obviously don't preach it enough. If you had a sinful nature and old things are passed away and behold, all things are made new, has your sinful nature been passed away? I asked you last week, how many of you were crucified on the cross with Jesus? Every one of you raised your hands. I said, well, we know why Jesus was crucified on the cross. He died to pay the price for my sin. Why were we crucified on the cross? We didn't die to pay the price for our sins. If we paid the price for our sins, we received the due penalty and Jesus died in vain. So why the heck does the Bible say we were crucified with Christ? No, Jesus died to pay the penalty and to restore to us, but we die on the cross as the old Adam so that the new Adam comes forth through us. Hallelujah. The old sinful nature is dead 
on the cross the moment I got saved and at the moment I died, my old man died, the new man came. Behold, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. If that's not enough, the apostle Peter writes in his epistle and he says to the believers, and I'm telling you today, because you are a believer, you need to believe this. Peter says, we are partakers of a divine nature. Most of the church is still running around groping like miserable beggars and excusing themselves and excusing their life because I'm just a sinner saved by grace. No, I was a sinner. I am saved by grace, but God didn't put the period there. He saved me by grace and he reinstated me to where the first Adam before he fell. I am Born again, a new creation. The old man is crucified with Jesus, with Jesus. And behold, I am a partaker of the divine nature of God. Hallelujah. There's something bigger in you, and I want to stir it up. There's something better in you, and I want to lift the lid of religious thinking and open your eyes to revelation so that you could walk and talk and live in the fullness of Jesus Christ. This is why we're born again. We're a new creation. We're born again with God's nature, not a sinful nature. We're born again. Listen, remember I said he created us the first Adam in his image, he had the character of God. He had the lightness of God. What happens when you're born again? The Holy Spirit comes inside of you. We all know the fruit of the Spirit. Why is there even such a thing as the fruit of the Spirit? Because when you're born again, the Spirit of God enters you, and the fullness of God's character, the fruit of the Spirit, is inside of us. Most people think of the cross as the place where Jesus, with his blood, scrubbed away your sins. The cross is a lot more than that. He didn't just scrub away or erase a list of your sins. He erased what the first Adam did. Oh, that is powerful. He set time back to a nanosecond before the first Adam fell. Every curse that came into the world because of the first Adam is broken because of the last Adam. Hallelujah. He didn't just wash away your sin. He recreated you. If you are born again, you are born again into Jesus Christ, the last Adam. The same way you bore the likeness of the first, you bear the likeness now of the last. And he makes you a partaker of the divine nature. Your sinful nature was crucified with Jesus Christ. He breathes his Holy Spirit in you. And the whole reason why the Holy Spirit has fruit is because all of those fruits are character traits of God, and they are in us. When you got born again, you got recreated back into your destiny. That's powerful. 
And most Christians are living with a religious mentality that we'll never be anything more than beggarly sinners who are prone to error, and we just have to keep asking God, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me. And we're so thrilled we're forgiven. And we should be thrilled we're forgiven. But unpack the rest of the mystery of the cross. Unpack the rest of your salvation. Listen, when my kids were three years old and four years old at Christmas time, my wife and I, we'd work hard all year, and then we'd spend a goodly amount of money to get them a present or several presents that they would really enjoy and they would get to the wrapping paper and start playing with the wrapping paper and they were satisfied with the wrapping paper and we're sitting there come on open the box open the box they don't even understand the language we're talking they are fascinated with the crinkle crunching sound of wrapping paper and they unwrap the gift but they're not enjoying the gift yet and too much of Christianity has unwrapped the gift, but we're still playing with the wrapping paper. We haven't realized there's an even better gift inside. Hallelujah. <laughs> I'm having fun. But I haven't gotten to it yet. Before the fall, man was created in that image, the very likeness of God. But it was lost in that it became perverted and tainted. That's why we're born again. Not of a sinful nature, of a divine nature. You need to honestly wrap your mind around God. I'm a partaker of a divine nature. Does that mean I'm God? No. But now you're in his likeness. There is more power to do right in you than the power to do wrong. In fact, the power to do wrong isn't in you. It's always a choice. But the power that is in you is the power to do right. If you study Romans chapter 5, and I challenge anyone to call me a liar or a heretic. Read the scriptures. Paul says the same way you used to offer your members as slaves to sin. Now you are not. So offer your members as slaves to righteousness. The sinful nature made me condemned to sin. You will sin and you will die. You will sin and you will die. But this divine nature has glorified me to life. It says you are free. The law of the spirit of life has set you free from the law of sin and death. There is power in me to do right. I have the choice to do wrong, but the power working in me is not the law of sin and death. It is the law of liberty. Whom the Lord sets free is free. Indeed, he says, to the uttermost. And so we are born again back into uh, his image. This is the glory of God. When you bear the likeness of God, you are bearing the glory of God. To be recreated in the image of God as a person is to be recreated in the image of his nature. That's why you are a partaker of the divine nature. 
to be recreated in the image of his character. That's why you get filled with the Holy Spirit and the fruit of God's character is there inside of you. This is what it means to be crowned with the glory of God. In Psalm 8, David is reflecting and he gets down to verse 5 and he says, God, what is man? You crowned him lower, you created him lower in essence than angels, but then you crowned him with your glory. Glory always speaks of a person's character, their personality. When somebody does something glorious, didn't they do something magnanimous? Right? Glory always speaks of the higher than the abased human nature. When we step up into heroism, when we step up into a kindness where we will allow ourselves to suffer loss so that someone less than us in strength or ability can have gain. When we take on the traits of our Father, when we look and smell and act like Jesus Christ, those are glorious things. We are mimicking the glory of the Father. We are revealing, we are mirroring the character of the Father. And David says, what was man that you made him out of a dust bowl and put a bit of water in there and then breathe life into him and you crowned him with glory. You crowned him. You adorned him with your likeness. You see, the word crowned in the Hebrew is the word atah. And it means to surround him with your glory. It means to encompass him with your glory. It means, have you got it up there? All right. It means, let me get all the words. It means to surround, to encompass, to encircle, to crown. Or ta, God crowned us at creation with his glory. But that surrounding glory that was on man's physique fell away at the fall. But through Jesus Christ at the cross, it came back. There is more in you than what you realize. In fact, we only attribute bad things in us. And that is a very distorted part of theology that has crept into the church. And you don't believe that? Paul himself in his epistles constantly fought against false teaching coming into the church and he named them. He said, these are doctrines of demons. Do you know demons don't want you to get the revelation that you're meant to be the head and not the tail? Do you know demons don't want you rebuking them and bossing them around? Do you understand that demons want to go on hurting and bringing strife to this world, but the sons of God are sent here to rule and to reign and to rebuke the devil? Why the heck do you think Jesus gave you the keys of the kingdom? Why do you think Jesus said whatever you bind will be bound? both in the heavens and on earth. Why do you think he gave you power and authority? The sons of God are endowed with, clothed with, again, the glory and the likeness of the Father so that we can be a showstopper in a world that is miserably failing, so that we could be the shining glory of our Father in heaven. You think that you have a great privilege because you have the right to vote. We are part of a democracy. I 
get to Ruth. Listen, out of over 600 million people, you get one measly little vote and somebody at the counter can change it on you. But in Christ Jesus, I am called to be a ruler. In Christ Jesus, I am called to be a devil stopper. In Christ Jesus, I am called to live out of the nature of my Father and do good things, not so that I can be saved, but because what was damaged humanity is saved in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. That's the glory of God, that we're surrounded again with the fruit of his spirit. We're surrounded again with the glory of his character and his image. Not only was man created in the image or the similitude of God in his physical being and his essence, but he was also created in the image of God in terms of purpose. In terms of purpose, God put Adam in the garden to rule over the handiworks of his creation and to have dominion. You see, just like my father's a ruler, I'm created in his image when it comes to purpose. I'm meant to be a ruler. Inferiority talks to you and keeps telling you through the echo of things you've heard in your childhood that you're useless, you're a waste, you're a has-been, you're a never-will-be. But the destiny that God wrote for humanity is that we would be rulers in his image. That as sons of God redeemed back to the original purpose of the first Adam before the fall, or shall I say redeemed back to God's original purpose, is that we would rule we would govern. David says, what is man? That you put all the sea life and all the birds of the air and the beasts of the field under the dominion of mankind. What is man? That you crowned him with honor. So David acknowledges two things. Number one, man's crowned with glory, and that is the likeness of character and the likeness of spirit, the likeness of similitude with God. And then he is also created in the image of God in the likeness of honor. What is honor? Honor is purpose. Honor is position. Honor is power. Everybody repeat after me. Honor is purpose. Honor is position. Honor is power. When God put Adam in the garden to rule, this is purpose, this is position. He wasn't the tail, he wasn't the bottom, he was the head. He had a purpose. Maintain what I have created. Everything you'll ever need is here. Just keep it at that place. He had a purpose, he had a position, and he had the power to rule. This is honor. Honor is when you've been given the right to a purpose. In other words, when you and I are afforded with an opportunity, we say, it is my honor. Honor is purpose. Honor is position. And honor is power. 
And man lost his purpose at the fall. He lost his position and he lost his power. And now everything man was meant to rule, now it rules us. And we have become slaves to the earth. We have become slaves to the weather. We have been slaves to the wind. We are slaves to the sun. We are slaves to this environment. And it curses us. And man is trying to change it. Let's change it. Let's fix it. You know when Jesus came? He came positioned back in the garden where he was the head and not the tail. He came positioned as the last Adam where the first Adam left off before the fall. Did you know that? That's why Jesus could be in a boat and seasoned disciples or fishermen are afraid they're going to die. Peter's fishing business belonged to his dad before it belonged to Peter. He had been on the Sea of Galilee so many times. In fact, it wasn't even a sea. It's a lake. Peter says, don't you care? We're going to die. Jesus, the last Adam, who came into the world at the same place where the first Adam left off, spoke to the wind and to the waves and said, peace be still. Because the first Adam had that power. The Bible says he ruled over the elements that God created. Are you hearing me today? Amen. Absolutely. So let me just keep moving here. I said honor is purpose, position, and power. The right to rule. In verse 28 of uh, Genesis 1, God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth, subdue it, keep it under your control. Rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and over every living thing that moves on the ground. Then God said, I will give you every seed-bearing plant. I put it on autonomy. They are self-working. They are yours. Just eat. Just go to the supermarket of my garden and whatever you need, you'll have it fresh any moment on any day, every day of the week. How many of you like that? You don't need refrigeration. You need something, you want something, something new pops out. That's pretty cool, isn't it? I, I want to show you something. So God... Um, <clears throat> He said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the earth and every tree that has fruit and seed in it, they will be yours for food. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 16 to 18, here we are after the fall. And this is what Paul says. For in him, Jesus, all things were created. How many of you can believe that everything was created through Christ? For in him, all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or powers or rulers or authority, all things have been created through him and for him. Everything that's created was created by Jesus and it was created for Jesus. Can I get an amen? He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. So if everything is created for him, and he's the head, and the church is the body, is everything created for you? Yes, it is. 
Just like everything was created for the first Adam, everything is created for the last Adam, and he's the head. He's the title holder. The first Adam lost the title. The last Adam will never lose the title. So we, the body, will never be subject to a fallen title. Turn to someone and say, this is getting deep, but this is getting powerful. Are you there? Yeah. All right. Just like God created all things for the benefit of the first Adam, that he should walk in it and live in it, God created all things through the last Adam and for the last Adam so that anyone born again through the last Adam will walk and live in the benefit of all things. If all things were created for him and he's the head and we're the body, then all things are created for us. I want you to remember this. Everyone look at me. I want you to remember this. Christ came and died and rose again as the last Adam to restore us back to God's original plan for the first Adam. So if all things were created for Christ, then as his body, all things were created for us. I want you to say it. All things, All things on, the on the earth were created for me. You see, in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5, this is what it says. Having predestined us to adoption to be sons by Jesus Christ himself, according to the good pleasure of God's will. It was God's good pleasure and his will that you and I should be made sons again. We are adopted as sons. That is God's good pleasure that we should be sons adopted through Jesus Christ. But that's verse 5. Let's read verse 3. It preempts this. And verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Whoa. So all of creation is there for me. I've been blessed with it. And in Christ, now that I'm born again and he's the head of creation, the disorder has been reordered into God's divine order. And creation is there for me. I am not a slave to this world. This slave is a fruit that I can eat from, and it's here to bless me, not curse me. I'm talking about a change in mentality because that the cross at salvation, there was a critical change in the realm of the spirit. And many of the church haven't come into it yet. They're born again. They're going to die one day and go to heaven and be with Jesus. But he died for so much more. God wants the earth to be filled with sons who will bear his image and bear his likeness. We're meant to be the salt. You, know, you understand what that means? Salt stops bacteria. Salt preserves. Salt keeps the bad stuff away. When Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth, you think he's just talking from a religious mindset, or do you think he's talking revelation? You see, the sons of God are meant to be showstoppers to the kingdom of darkness. Can I get agreement here? Come on, are you with me? Amen. So it says that he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. 
You know what that means? All the fullness of the deity is in Christ and all the fullness of Christ is in me. He is the head. The image of God is in him. And be, by being born again into Jesus, the image of God, or every strength of his character is deep down here in sight. And religious devils want you to believe you can't have patience. You can't overcome that temptation. You've always had a problem in this area. You will never rise up and be better than what you are because he wants to keep you locked in the old cre uh, creation but the old creation got crucified on the cross with Jesus Christ and the moment my old Adam was crucified a new creation sprung to life and he looks like God he smells like God he talks like God and he's meant to act like God and God has given us through his son the honor the power the authority to bind demons to bind principalities to have sway on the earth on behalf of our Father. Come on, somebody get excited and say thank you, Jesus. In Luke chapter 12, verse 32, Jesus said, don't be afraid, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. To give you the kingdom. You know God gave Adam the garden he said, here it is, dude, it's yours. I worked my butt off. I created all this so that you can start life from a position of having. Can anyone see where I'm going? Praise God. So the first Adam, he gave you the kingdom. He didn't say you could come into the kingdom. He gave you the kingdom. Adam wasn't given permission to come into the garden. He was given the garden. You're not just given permission to come into the kingdom. You're given the kingdom. That's why he gives you the keys of the kingdom. You have to stop thinking as a sinner saved by grace and you have to start thinking as someone who is a co-heir with Jesus Christ. You're seated in the same seat Jesus is in the heavenly places. Why do we think like losers? Why do we think like beggars? Why do we think like the enemy in the world is against us? No! They are subject to us. Change your mindset and you will change your scenery. Change your mindset and you will change your reality. I'm not telling you it is mind over matter. I am telling you it's a matter of coming into agreement with the fact that it is finished. Demonic disorder has been reversed into divine godly order. For every man and woman who is born again through the blood of Jesus Christ. I'm going to ask you a question again. On what day was man created? On what day was Jesus crucified? Sixth. The seventh day was the Sabbath. They went to break his bones. They didn't have to. Psalm 22, none of my bones are broken. My hands are pierced. My feet are pierced. They cast lots for my garments. None of my garments are are broken a generation yet to come will hear about this David writes prophetically and they will declare it's finished there's a mystery in these words there's a mystery there's a revelation it is finished so 
the first Adam was born or created on the sixth day. Jesus died on the sixth day. When did you get saved, Dave? Roughly. 20 years ago? Do you remember Thursday, Wednesday, Friday, Monday? No? Okay. Do you have a date? No? That's okay. Who remembers the actual date they were born again? Okay, Steve? Memorial Day 2004. Happy birthday. Okay. All right. So you were born again Memorial Day 2004. When were you crucified with Christ? When he was crucified, you were crucified. When were you crucified with Christ? Same day, 2,000 years ago. When Jesus was crucified, you and I were crucified with him. My old self was crucified. Jesus still isn't still on the cross. So if you got born again yesterday, you didn't get crucified with Jesus yesterday. He's not on the cross. I was with Jesus on the cross. He died precariously for me, for you. When he died, he died in faith, and we were crucified with him 2,000 years ago. When were you crucified? You were crucified on the sixth day with Jesus Christ. Do you know that the moment you were crucified is the moment the old Adam died and the new Adam came to birth? When were you born again? On the sixth day. You see, because of what Jesus did on the cross, he did what he did because of what Adam did, the first Adam in the garden. So the last Adam comes, he says, I'm going to make this all right, Dad. I'm going to make it all right. And he starts in the garden shedding blood, and he says, not my will. I really don't want to do this, but at the end of the day, your will be done. And he starts to reverse the course of disorder in the universe. Are you with me? And on the cross, when we get born again, it counts for the day he was crucified, our old sinful nature died with Christ on the cross. And the moment the old Adam in us died, the new Adam rose to life. I was born again on the sixth day. Now watch this. The first Adam was created on the sixth day. And the first day of his experience, he started life from a place of rest. Because he was in a garden that is finished. You and I were born again on the sixth day. And the next day is the Sabbath. We start our Christian life from the fact that it is finished. The garden is complete. Everything I will ever need, everything I will ever want, everything I will ever desire is already provided for me on the cross because this is where God redid the curse of the first garden. We come into the garden with Jesus and everything is paid for. Everything is there. Every blessing is ours. Isn't that pretty awesome? <laughs> pretty awesome. Pretty awesome. Pretty incredible. And I know I'm over time, but, you know, how do you unpack fresh revelation and new perspective and insight to an old truth? Now, let, let, let me point something out. 
when Adam, the first Adam, broke the will of the Father and did his own will, he was taken out of the garden where everything was done and provided and laid out for him. And the curse that God spoke over Adam in chapter 3, he said, from now on you will toil, you will sweat, you will struggle with the earth. This same earth that was designed to produce for him. He says, you will now struggle with the earth. You will toil. You will sweat. It will produce thistles. It will produce thorns. And instead of living life from a place of rest, I've got it. It's a foregone conclusion. Everything is good. You're going to live life from a place of struggling. You will live life not from my finished work, but you will live life from a curse. And so when they put Jesus Christ on the cross they put a crown of thorns on his head why didn't they put a wristband of thorns on his wrist no they put a crown of thorns on his head it was prophetic the very curse that God spoke when they came out of the garden where everything was supplied and now they're cursed and they're living in a world where they got to fight it's dog eat dog it's rugged it's tough the curse of fallen natures all around us and we live striving from day to day. They put the crown of thorns, symbolic of the curse of poverty, symbolic of the curse of striving and struggling, and they put it on his head because the first Adam, who was the head of the earth, became subject to earth, and Jesus was crucified for the sin of the first Adam, and the crown of thorns, the curse of the earth was put on his head, and the moment the first thorn went through his skin and his blood touched that thorn, he was starting to redeem humanity from the curse of poverty and the curse of struggling and the curse of want and the curse of desperation. Every place he shed his blood, he broke a curse that is on humanity. It wasn't a coincidence. It was prophetic. The Roman soldiers didn't know what they were doing. They thought they were just being clowns. They thought they were just making fun. They thought they were just having a good time. But what they did was they picked up the curse that the Father spoke over humanity and they put it on the sacrificial lamb. And in essence, they were saying, go on. Pay for this curse as well. And the very first drop of his blood that was shed on that thorn started to break the curse over you. I don't care if you were born into slavery. I don't care if you were born into poverty. I don't care if you were born into hardship. I don't care if it was with your mother and with your father and with your grandfather and your grandmother on both sides. I don't care if you come from a lineage of slavery. In Christ Jesus, the oldest past, everything is made knew the blood of Jesus broke the curse of toil of strife and of stress and of poverty and we now start at a place where it is finished I start my Christian walk God has everything I will ever need it is a foregone conclusion it is finished amen We pray and we exercise faith to get. The reality is because of those three simple words 
and the amazing price Jesus paid, I don't pray to get now. I give thanks because I got. You know what God showed me this week? Never saw it before in my life. I looked at the story where Jesus turned five loaves and two fish into enough food to feed 5,000 men, and they didn't count the women or the children. And it doesn't matter which gospel account you read it in. What I'm going to tell you, every one of them says it exactly the same way. And the disciples, they say that Jesus says it's too late. We can't send them away to eat. It's too far. McDonald's is closed. He said, I want you to feed them. They said, how are we going to feed them? It'll take half a year's worth of wages to feed this many people just to buy bread. Read it. That's exactly what they say, except for the McDonald's bit. It's exactly what they say. Jesus says, go around and see how many loaves of bread there are. And they came back with the report. They sat people down in groups of hundreds and fifties. And they came back and they said, we went through the whole crowd. And all we could find was five loaves of bread and two fish. Are you ready for it? I'm about to give you the finale. Jesus is our example. Can I ask you a question? When Jesus came as the last Adam, did he come in the garden that humanity was expelled did he come, how do I put this? Did he live and walk from a fallen realm or did he live and walk from a realm where everything was under his control? Everything was under his control. So Jesus gets the five fish, the five loaves and the two fish. Now, let's change the story for one second. We're gonna take Jesus out of story. We're gonna put Pastor Rob in the story. I got 5,000 men plus women and children. They've just followed me for several days. They're out in the middle of nowhere and hungry, and I feel the weight. I get the five loaves and the two fish, and I start praying. Okay, Father. Ooh, Shadamakanda. Let that anointing flow. Come on, Dad. I'm believing you that somehow you're going to turn these five loaves into two fish. Thank you. Come on. Put an anointing on it. God, multiply the fish and multiply the bread in the name of Jesus. You know what Jesus did? He took the five loaves. He took the two fish. And it says, every gospel account says, and he gave thanks you say thanks when you already got something. He gave thanks, and then he just started breaking the bread. Nowhere did he pray for a miracle. He just gave thanks. You know why? He started from the garden where everything was already laid out for him. And he died on the sixth day so that you could be born again on the sixth day and be born into a new life through him and start on a Sabbath where God has provided everything already for you. You know why by his stripes I'm healed? Because my healing happened here. You see, everything I need, it happened the day he said it's finished. Why? Because he reversed the curse of disorder and brought humanity back to be seated in heavenly places with the Father and all things are under our feet again. Everything I will ever need, I pray and I say, thank you, Dad. I already got that. Whether it's a healing, 
whether it's a financial breakthrough, whether it's land. I'm believing God. We've outgrown this place in the sense that this isn't big enough to contain the vision that God's put in my heart. I want to start a daycare. I want to start senior care. I want to start a food bank. We want to start so many things, and we just don't have the space here. And I'm believing God for 20 acres. Well, guess what? I already got it. It happened when he said it's finished. When he said it's finished, he turned demons on their head under his feet, and he lifted Rob Scarallo into heavenly places. It's a foregone conclusion. It's a done deal. I've already got it because it is finished. Somebody give the Lord some happy amen. <laughs> Stand with me. It is very rare that I'll go this long. But if I had stopped and tried to pick this up next week, we'd lose too much continuity. I've worked harder. I should be complaining. I'm not. I worked harder so that you'd get the whole picture rather than me trying to stitch up two amazing truths next week and hopefully you get it. I'll repeat it next week, but I wanted you to get the whole kitten caboodle today. I want you to get the revelation. So many times the devil, remember God told Adam, subdue the earth, and it doesn't mean conquer it. It means Keep it under your control. It's finished at the cross. But the devil messes with our head and starts to say, you won't have your next paycheck. You won't be able to pay that bill. And that's where you and I have to do what the first Adam didn't do and keep it under our control and say, devil, shut up. It's finished. I'm in the garden of everything is provided. I'm in the garden of he's got my back. I'm in the garden. It's a foregone conclusion. I don't have to muster up faith to make it happen. It already happened. Faith isn't the formula. Hebrews 11.1 1 isn't the formula to make a miracle happen. Hebrews 11.1, 1, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. We've taught that for years. This is how you get something. This is how you move mountains. Come on, use this formula. And then we work and we use effort. And I'm going to believe. I'm believing. I got it. I got it. I got it. No. Hebrews 11.1 1 is a declaration of agreement. It is finished. I already have it. I already have it. It's already mine. It is God's good pleasure. He gave me the kingdom. He gave you the kingdom. Z, is that pretty cool? Pastor Tom, what do you think? It just pulls it all together, doesn't it? Amen. I know you're hungry, so I'm going to not just pray a blessing over you. I'm going to pray over your lunch as well. This way you go straight to eating. How's that? Does that sound good? I want you to see yourself at a finished place. The devil will try to show you all the things you need and how you're not going to get it. And you need to keep showing him the cross. It is written. It is finished. I was born again on the sixth day like the first Adam. But I'm born again through the last Adam.
and I enter life resting on the Sabbath. Wow. Do you know the Hebrews keep the day, the Sabbath, as God's rest? They do it religiously to find detail. In fact, they actually strive to make sure everything's right so that they fulfilled the Sabbath and rested. Do you know in Psalm 95, David says, he repeats what God said in uh, uh, Deuteronomy. He said, you will never enter my rest. Now, either God is wrong because they keep the Sabbath, or God is right, and though they keep the day, they don't know the principle. They keep the day, but they haven't entered into God's rest. And we could point fingers at the Hebrews but we can also point fingers at us, the church, because we don't live our Christianity from a mentality, I've got it all. It's done. The doctor gives us a bad report and we start to worry. We start to fret. The bills come and they're bigger than our paycheck and we start to panic. We start to ask questions, what am I going to do? We get on our knees and we start to beg God, oh, please, God, 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 give me a break, you give me a breakthrough I want to tell you he gave us the breakthrough and because of that breakthrough I will always have more than enough amen you see we need to pray not faith so that we can get it we need to pray faith that we already got it in Jesus name it's a shift in the attitude but it will shift universes because now we're in agreement with the Father. Praise God. Close your eyes with me. If you've never asked Jesus in your heart and you want to accept Christ, quickly raise your hand. If that's you, whether you're watching by live stream or you're here, raise your hand. Well then, Father, I pray for every man and woman in this place who profess to be born again. I pray that they'll get the revelation. This is not just phraseology. This is a change in reality. I pray that every one of us will get the revelation. I don't have to believe for something. I believe I've got something. And I thank you, Father, that all my needs are already met in the words, it is finished. In the words, it is finished. I have been taken out of the fallen world of the first Adam, and I am brought into the finished world of the last Adam. I'm seated in heavenly places. Everything's already under my feet. I've been reinstated to honor, purpose, power, position. I uh, thank you. Everything I will ever need, I live confidently in the fact you have caused me to be born again into a finished garden. I am healed, not I will be healed. I have what I need already. And I thank you for it. We give thanks in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Now, was that worth listening to? I don't know. I only pray. I don't know how to make it a revelation in your heart. But sweetheart, there is never another thing you have to ever strive for or fight to believe for. 
if you can believe those three words, it is finished. Everything the first Adam lost, you have already gained back through the last Adam, Jesus Christ. Amen. Have an incredible Memorial Day weekend. You will be safe, you will be protected, and you will be blessed. We bless you in Jesus' name. Have a great weekend. See you soon.